Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week we're back after a long hiatus. I am back in the country. I was on vacation in France, Paris, Corsica, and Champagne because I love me some bubbles. Uh, it uh, It was a really good trip despite the fact that I won broke the home button on my iPhone, uh, which is Sapphire Crystal, so I have no idea how I did that. Two, lost my wedding band. And three, what? smashed the side of a rental car while I was going back to the beach to look for my wedding band. Um, so, yeah, I'll get the bill for that uh, in about a month, and we'll see uh, We'll see if I'm still... Yeah, and despite all of that, it was still a, a phenomenal trip. I got to go uh, and see my friend get married in Corsica, which was uh, which was really... It was a lot of fun. But, yeah, it was, um, it was a trip. Not gonna lie. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had that many uh, notable things happen that weren't like fun things on a vacation. Uh, oh, and then to top, and then to top it off, uh, on the way on the plane ride home, you know, it's a, it's a long travel day, and we're, we're flying back. We're getting ready to fly back, and we're in Paris. And I and I'm looking at my bag, and I go, "Hey, hun," to I'm looking to my wife, Miss Better Rivals, or I guess Mrs. Better Rivals, and, and I go, "Hey, do you have the house key?" She's like, "No, I thought you did." So we lost the house key. So we couldn't even get into our house after like a, a 10 or 11 hour uh, flight back and some layovers and some other bullshit. So, yeah, it was um, it was we stayed at a friend's place until her uh, her parents brought the dogs back with the key. So, yeah, so it was a, it was good. It was wow. a really good trip. Yeah. Fun stuff. <laughs> just but just like am, you planned it, I'm sure. Just like I planned it. And but here I am drinking my Cronenberg 1664. It, uh, it is absolutely delicious. Uh, and it's time to talk some 49ers football. What little there is, because there is not a lot of news. Really, the big news in the rundown this week is that the 49ers signed Elvis Dumerville, a five-time Pro Bowler who's 33 years old, uh, but he's coming off of an injury, has nine sacks in 24 games over two seasons. Um, and and the, really, the most astounding part about the injury to me is the fact that he played with a 60% torn Achilles tendon. Like that, that, that shit just to me is like, I just, I don't understand it. It's like, no. Oh. That doesn't make any damn sense, especially nope. for like you think of a, a, a pass rusher, right? And especially the type of pass rusher that he is, which is is more of that speed element, you know, off the edge coming around the outside. Like that's that's your life right there is 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 kind of exploding off the line of scrimmage and being able to get by those tackles on the outside. So, yeah, that's that's kind of bonkers that he was every time. On the every, field can you imagine that. every time you're in a three point stance? What what is your what is your toe doing? Your toe is on the ground and your heel is off the ground. Your Achilles is, you know, being stretched a little bit there. And then you get off and you push off your toe and oh, it just oh, yeah, I mean, no. like your Achilles is engaged constantly, right? Like it's yeah. just that sounds like this the most painful bullshit in the world. Yeah. Um, but uh, in, in 2014, he matched his career best 17 sacks. So the the question really is, is this a guy who's kind of an over-the-hill pass rusher that we got because no one else wanted him? And we're like, well, we don't really have a Leo because Eric Armstead's kind of like we want to put him in a Leo, but that's a square peg in a round hole. So let's get like the oldest worn-down block to put in this round hole uh, that we can find that's still on the scrap heap. Or is this one of those, you know, kind of Carlos Rogers? Eh, I guess Carlos Rogers wouldn't even be the, the correlate here, but... You know, uh, an aging vet coming off of injury who's produced at a high level. I mean, the guy's been at the Pro Bowl for five years, and and we get him at a at a bargain simply because of the injury history. Yeah, I mean, I think you're hoping that he becomes like a you know like a Dwight Freeney um, situation or like a John Abraham. Like, 
um, you know, guys that were able to kind of change teams and, and be successful late in their careers, even as they uh, were older. And I think probably a lot of people w- would have been writing them off. I mean, that's that's what you're hoping for is the best case. Right. I think in terms of role, it's it's interesting because it was it was really, really funny after the signing. Uh, you know, you always have uh, your your flood of beat writer reports, right? That are just all the same tweet reworded, essentially. You just get a scroll up for like 20 tweets of the same thing. And basically every single person was like, immediately becomes a starting Leo, immediately becomes a starting Leo. And so I think there's a couple things to, to, to unpack with that. One, I think most people are generally referring to Leo as the position in the base defense, Right. So I, I don't know, honestly, 100% as to whether they continue to use that designation as their weak side defensive end when they go to sub packages. I, I kind of assume so, um, but but I don't know that 100%. So I think if we use kind of uh, what I think is is the most common definition and what people are, are, are kind of uh, imagining when they, when they say that he's going to be the starting Leo is that he's going to be that weak side defensive end in base situations, I think that's 100% wrong. Um, I, I think that, you know, you mentioned he's 33 years old. Um, he's coming off significant injury. To me, this is a guy that's going to come in and be a situational pass rusher. He's going to play, I would imagine, almost exclusively in sub packages. Um, it just doesn't seem, I mean, he's always kind of been a better pass rusher than run defender anyway. So, you know, you're, you're going to kind of want to highlight what he does well uh, and you're definitely going to be limiting his snaps, you know, considering the age and the injury history there. So uh, Shanahan I, mentioned yeah. the the Freeney example specifically, and that's exactly what Freeney was in Atlanta. He was a, he was a situational pass rusher. He wasn't an every down player, but he still had what he had like what eight or nine sacks last year or something like that, just in in spot play because he would come in and do what Dwight Freeney does, which is come in and hit a spin move every now and again, and he still has the speed to get to the outside, and and, and that's what he did and. And of course, there's that that ancillary. You've been a mentor in the locker room kind of thing, which you're hoping to get at some level here. Uh, Doomerville still says he's got something in the tank, but if he's a situational pass rusher and he's not going to play weak side defensive end and base, then is it really still going to be Eric Armstead who's playing that weak side defensive end, as the supposed media reports are saying? I mean, it seems so. The the, the way that I've kind of started approaching that is they seem intent on trying this thing out. And so, like, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right, to go, uh, I think we've been pretty clear in, in what we think should happen and, and kind of what is the best fit based on what we know about these players. And, and to me, that doesn't make a ton of sense to place him there, but they seem very committed to seeing if that's going to work. So I think for now, you kind of have to roll with that um, and, and say that, yeah, he's going to get the first crack at that in, in base situations. Um, you know, they did mention, you know, because of, uh, you know, just the defensive line in general, wanting to do some cross training and become familiar with multiple positions along the line, uh, it, which makes a lot of sense considering they have a lot of players that, that naturally kind of fit in multiple spots. Um, you know, that, that Solomon Thomas was going to be learning the Leo position and, and you know, is likely going to see some time there, uh, at least throughout the offseason and preseason and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're going to see what happens with Armstead. You know, maybe you have some other guys in the mix there. And, and if it just they decide that it doesn't work out, uh, we might see, you know, an Aaron Lynch or uh, maybe a Solomon Thomas or something like that end up ultimately in that role. But right now, I don't think that the Elmas Doomerville signing affects that conversation very much. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to be most interested to see whether or not he does supplant someone as more of a 
kind of not not every down player necessarily, but whether or not he does take snaps away from or, or really takes a roster spot from other people. I mean, you think of someone like a Tank Carradine who is maybe on his way out, but reports have him playing with the second team a lot of the time. You've got players like Ronald Blair, uh, Peta. I'm not going to try and pronounce your last name, guy. We just drafted out of Utah. There are. This is another one of those interesting. You know, I wonder if he if he costs a young guy a, a spot for a team that has to really you know build and develop a lot of guys. This is a guy who had 25 pressures and 193 pass. The Elvis Dumerville had 25 pressures and 193 pass rush snaps. That's a 10.1 pass rush productivity rating, which ranked him 36th out of 102 edge defenders. Not not terrible. I mean, not great, but not terrible. Um, and, and so. I mean that that's basically you know that puts him just at the outside of of starting pass rushers basically thirty six right if you think there are thirty two pass rushers that are going to be your primary your primary guy um, if you, you know, can so if terrible, you can generate great. pressure you know above ten percent of the time um, that has value you know that that's kind of um, you know if he's somebody and last year you know I I don't know that he ends up taking a spot away from a young guy necessarily because I don't think that they have a lot of I don't have a lot of players at this position, you know, at those edge defenders. I mean, uh, you're not talking about, uh, you know, kind of a number of players that are that are proven contributors there. I mean, it's it's Aaron Lynch is the only one that's kind of showed something. I mean, Ahmad Brooks, if you want to count him, but uh, he's kind of I, I, think, no, I think he's over the, the hill at this point, and, and we've clearly seen his best. And days. he's the Sam. Yeah, but he, but I think that doesn't preclude him from being, you know, coming off the edge and set packages, right? And that's really what I think ultimately matters the most is, is who's going to be kind of playing uh, on the outside when they go to a four man line, uh, you know, in those sub packages. So uh, I I think that, you know, before you would have looked at guys like Ahmad Brooks and Aaron Lynch kind of filling that role. And then some combination of Buckner Armstead and Solomon Thomas in the middle. Um, You know, now I think Doomerville takes, that's where he's taking, I think potential snaps from is guys like, Ahmad Brooks in sub packages, guys like maybe Eli Harold, guys like Aaron Lynch. I don't think this impacts the base defense all that much. And, you know, and and if it's Elvis Dumerville over, you know, an undrafted guy or even somebody like PETA, which I, I don't know that, um, you know, he's not going to make the roster necessarily. But even if that were the case, I mean, we're unlikely to get anything from those guys, I think. So. Uh, the, even if we, it ultimately is just one year of production from Doomerville. I think that, you know, isn't, isn't a terrible thing. They need something at that spot. The so Doomerville primarily got pressure with an outside rush. 44% of his pressures came outside with 24% coming on a bull rush, uh, where he's generally converting speed to power as a counter. Uh, and if you're not sure what speed to power looks like, um, basically just think of, uh, Alden Smith back before, uh, he had all of his troubles, troubles where, uh, you basically just get off the line super quick um, and you use that speed to get under a guy and, and just go right through him to the quarterback. Um, so this is someone who, you know, just like you said, he's going to be more of a speed guy. Having an Achilles helps with that. Um, so <laughs> you're you're hopefully going to get something even though he's 33 years old. A um, couple of other just fun notes that I found when I was doing some research on him. Apparently he wears number 58 because there are five letters in his first name and eight in his last. I mean, he's not wrong. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he's absolutely not wrong. Uh, and so he won't participate in any football activities during uh, training camp, but he will, uh, he will do some, or mini camp, but he will do some conditioning. So Doomerville's role will be interesting. But yeah, I think pass rush specialist is probably where he ends up, not as an every down uh, base guy. 
Now, next up is going to be the other story that came out that's fairly recent, again with injuries, is going to be Reuben Foster. And actually, there's two stories with Reuben Foster. One, which is fairly recent, which is going to be that he should be ready to go. At least Shanahan says he anticipates he's going to be 100% ready to go for training camp with pads ready to hit. So I guess all that shoulder stuff was a little overblown, uh, at least so far. We'll see what happens if maybe he takes the first hit and his shoulder pops out. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, those stories will be uh, kind of a big deal. <laughs> but the other and perhaps bigger story is that Ruben Foster has some guaranteed money in the fourth year of his contract. He has about 339000 guaranteed dollars based on over-the-caps numbers. And that's fairly unprecedented for a 31st pick overall. Usually by the time you get to 31, you don't see any guaranteed money in year four. So, David, I'm curious why you think the 49ers felt they had to do that, especially considering that at 31, you've got very little bargaining power, right? Like at that point, you're slotted into your rookie wage scale and you get what you get. And that's that. Why do you think the 49ers felt a need to give him, you know, almost 400,000 in guaranteed money? I I mean, I don't have a great answer. I mean, the only thing I can really think of, because I, I believe that his contract had some things in there that kind of protected the 49ers in case of off-field incidents, right? So um, maybe this was something just to kind of uh, give him something on the other side, right? So it's like, okay, if you give us, uh, you know, these kind of stipulations where if he screws up off the field, you know, that, that we're more easily able to get out of this contract type of thing, then we'll tack on a little bit of extra guaranteed money. I mean, it's so little, like, in the grand scheme of things that it's hard to think that this really matters a whole lot. Um, you know, it's just, I think, kind of strange in that it's, a, it's sort of a unique thing given his draft slot, like you mentioned. But, yeah, I don't, I don't really know um, if, there's, if there's a lot to take away there. This is the, So basically what you're saying is this is the I yelled at a hospital worker clause. Like, this, yeah. this is the I didn't pass a drug test clause. And I uh, was diluted sample yep this is i I, that makes sense to me it's kind of like all right you give us some assurances you know and and we don't know if those are actually in his contract the monday morning quarterback article where they did the 24 hours with john lynch indicated that that was the case that the 49ers had indications or quote assurances that they would get some money or they would have um things in the contract that would protect them against off-field issues but again he foster has no bargaining power here right if you're the 49ers you say we're going to put these cla- these things in the contract and we're not going to give you any money either way. Um, you know, the, the only thing I can think of is that John Lynch is trying to run a 100% above board kind of organization where, you know, he's talked about personally talking to all the players that they cut and things like that. So maybe it's one of those things where it's like, don't do, don't do what you can do, but do what you should do type of thing. That, I mean, I guess that's the only, that's the only other hope I've got, but yeah, it, it's just interesting because, all of a sudden, this is a domino that other people are going to point to. You know, if I'm pick 32, I'm going to be like, well, look, hey, I failed the drug test too. Give me 400K and I promise I won't fail another one. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think it's the it's the low amount, like the relatively low amount that uh, makes it strange for me to where I'm just like, OK, I don't really know what that because it, it's like, yeah, if this were if we were talking about, um, you know, several million guaranteed or like, you know, half of his salary that year or, you know, something that was a little bit more significant. I mean, nobody's going to think twice about cutting a player because they owe him, you know, 300 plus thousand dollars, you know, in, in guaranteed money. Like that's just not going to, to factor into decision-making. So I don't, that's why I just, you know, it's, it's kind of like one of those things that maybe they just felt like they needed to toss that in to make him happy. And it's not really going to affect anything um, on, on their end practically. 
And then last thing really is just a, a I hate this rule so much, and I think it's stupid. Um, I'm curious what you think of this rule, David. The, the stupid quarter system rules that don't allow players to join their team until their school is completely finished. Christian McCaffrey, Solomon Thomas, last year Joshua Garnett, can't join the 49ers during their training camp because the NFL rules prohibit rookies who have not completed their undergraduate degrees from joining a team's offseason program on a full-time basis until after their school's final classes of the spring semester. The NFL says the rule is designed to encourage players to not drop out of college because, you know, for, that's such, for the job that they just got. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, that, that's such a concern. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the Niners, this is the third straight year that we've dealt with this because Oregon's on the yep. quarter system as well. So last year you we had it. Buckner and Garnett uh, that, that this applied to the year before, obviously, Eric Armstead. And now again, um, you know, we have Solomon Thomas. So. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Everybody, I think, pretty much agrees that it's ridiculous. It's it's like this very antiquated rule. And like everything that has to do with the NFL, um, they're mostly morons and, uh, you know, don't know what they're doing. So I, I don't know. I think there was some talk about like maybe it, looking into to changing the rule. Uh, it, it needs to happen. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever that these players that were drafted, um, you know, can't move on and move on to their profession. Uh, it's it's very strange. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's just it's the NFL being stupid and they're going to eventually, you know, kind of come around and be like, oh, we were wrong. Kind of like how they're doing with celebrations now. They're like, oh, we're going to we're going to go ahead yeah, and allow the celebrations. Only, the only good thing that they've done and you can't even give them that much credit for it because it was like you fucked this up the first time. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, you know, oh, bow and arrows are still not cool, but you can <laughs> celebrate. You can you can, you know, jump in Salvation Army buckets or whatever it is. It's just it's so I'm excited Ridiculous. about the team celebration stuff, though. That's going to be dope. I'm excited about that, too. Um, I, I'm also excited that if Goodell follows through with this promise, that there will be less or fewer commercials in in games to speed them up a little bit. I hope that's oh, the I, case. I, I really missed do. that one. Yeah. I, yeah. I'll, be, I'll believe that shit when I see it. That's They were looking. Yeah. They're, the one specifically they wanted to omit or get rid of was the the score commercial, extra kickoff. point commercial, kickoff commercial that fucking gambit of consumerism, uh, which, yeah, I mean, I, in my opinion, they should just score and then just play commercials through the extra point. No one gives a fuck. And then just come back for, for the kickoff. Well, it's, it's the one. So they don't I mean, you don't get a commercial before the touchdown, the extra point. It's 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 having to go score, commercial, kickoff, commercial, the the kickoff, uh, the post kickoff commercial is the one that needs to go away like. Okay, after a score, change of possession, all that stuff, you want to go to commercial, whatever, that's fine. Um, but after a kickoff, it's completely unnecessary and absurd. Yeah, that, that needs to go. That's the hope, anyway. We'll see what, uh, what the old commission does. But uh, that about does it in terms of news. I mean, that there's not a lot that's happened. The, uh, probably the biggest news, honestly, is that they finished their organized team activities with no major injuries. I mean, you got little dings yeah. here and there, I guess. Ahmad Brooks was out for a little bit. You've got people recovering from injury. Elvis Dumerville and Jeremy Zuta, but no, uh, no carts were brought out. No people had to leave the field because they were injured. No, you know, kind of soft tissue injuries. So that's, that's good. And you want that to happen all the way throughout the preseason. So that's honestly the, the biggest story. And that's, and that's a good thing. Other than that, let's talk a little bit about the mini camp roundup reports that we've been reading and that we've been seeing and, and see if there's anything that jumps out. But before we talk about the things that jumped out, let's first talk about the things that don't really matter. All the minicamp stories that you can predict every year before they happen, because they happen every single year. 
And and I think my favorite was a tweet that I saw that compared uh, the the preseason storyline for Blake Bortles the last oh four my years. Oh God! Yes, about fixing like, his mechanics. Yeah, it's like he's really he's really gonna he's he's gonna work on fixing his mechanics this option guy. It's a real yeah. uh, priority. He's working for him. with a quarterback guru. Yeah, he's working. And then it's like finally this year, Tom Coughlin's like, guys, I think we did it. I think we fixed his mechanics. I think we might be there. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, it's I mean, offseason storylines are the same every year. Uh, it's just wash, rinse, repeat like it's it's the same. You can predict it every single time. It's it's absurd. Yeah. And the other one that I as soon as it happened, I was like, of course they would. The Browns are saying, oh, we're actually impressed with Brock Osweiler. We wouldn't be surprised if he's QB one. Um, yeah. Please trade for him. <laughs> we would love you to give us a draft pick for Brock Osweiler. He looks great, guys. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but but outside of like the player specific, uh, the player specific storylines, there are always even non-player specific storylines or things that are going to be reported that you shouldn't really focus on. Number one is a quarterback's completion percentage or the interceptions they throw in training camp, and or or even in these OTAs. I mean, sure, you're looking at extremes, right? If a quarterback can't complete a pass and they're only throwing picks, sure. That's something you may want to you may want to focus on. But if it's like, oh, you threw one or two interceptions or you're in a red zone period and you threw a couple of picks, sometimes that's going to happen. You've had quarterbacks go on record specifically. I think it was either Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers who talked about how it's in these practices that they test the bounds of what they can do on a play so that they don't do that in a game. Where is my timing? Where can I lead? Where do I throw? They want to use practice to screw up. So they don't have to do that in a game. And this is going to be, you know, the, the 49ers now and their install with their offense are probably in a place where the quarterback's probably not quite there yet where he's like testing the bounds of a play. But even then, don't look at these reports as gospel. Don't say like, oh, man, he completed under 50 percent of his passes this, and, and he had three picks this practice. That was a bad practice. We have no idea what they were working on. We really don't. So don't don't pay attention to it. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it, as long as you're not in like, I oh, man, I. I'm like 99% sure it was Christian Hackenberg um, that this report came. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw that. As long as you're not in Hackenberg territory where they're talking about like, man, looked really erratic and like wasn't even close. I think he may have hit a trainer on the sideline like type of thing. Like as long as it's not venturing towards that. Like if if that's coming out, be concerned. Be very concerned Uh, because that's not something an NFL quarterback should be doing during practice. Uh, But yeah, I think the interceptions, I mean, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers. Uh, it, it talked about previously, like, yeah, this is my chance to kind of test things out, right? I, I need to know how my receivers, uh, if they can adjust, if, you know, if I if I throw it back shoulder uh, on this route, can they adjust to it and make that catch, right? So I know that I can go to that uh, in game if I need to. So, and a lot of this stuff is is new. You know, a lot of these guys are learning uh, a new offense for the first time. I mean, obviously, Hoyer's been in this system before, but uh, not everybody else on the offense has been. So, uh, you know, it may be situations where, like, he's really comfortable. He's expecting a certain thing to happen. The receiver's not quite on that same page yet, and so you get some mis- miscommunication. There's a lot of weird things that that could go on that lead to that stuff. And, um, you know, I think ultimately it's practice. That's what this whole phase is here for, is to, to get these things ironed out uh, and to get everybody comfortable and on the same page. So, uh, yeah, paying attention to uh, practice report stats is uh is not something you should be wasting time on the other one that i always find funny is you know so and so player is finally healthy uh well guess what when you put pads on that starts to erode a bit of that health 
So they can be finally healthy when it's seven on seven all day long. But we'll see if they can stay healthy when Pats come on. Uh, I'm looking at you, Bruce Ellington. I'm looking at you. Also, I love both the uh, in the best shape of their life reports oh, yeah. as well as the overweight reports. Yeah, the um, Trent Brown reports. Neither of which I give a shit about. Yeah. Trent Brown's overweight. Who gives a fuck? Let's see what happens when the Pats come on. I mean, it, it, the only players that really should be caring about weight at this point are Eddie Lacy, who gets $55,000 every time he weighs in. And then just complete. I, I'm imagining that as soon as he gets that check, he goes to just spend it on China food. Just 55,000 things off the McDonald's dollar menu. <laughs> I'll have 55,000 of everything. Like, <laughs> can you imagine that I poor want, drive-thru worker? I want 11 orders of fries, 11 cheeseburgers, 11, or wait, 11,000, excuse me. Yeah, um, I was like, 11? You're yeah. going to have a lot of ordering to do that. No, <laughs> I, want, I want two buns and 10,000 patties. Like, I just want, like, you know, like a quad on, on in, in and out, you know, like a four by four, but yeah. like at McDonald's. That's what we're talking about. Um, and then the last one, really, my favorite is the, the playing fast. And I think this quote is like Eli Harold even heard himself say it. So that Eli Harold was being asked about the defense and what do you think about the new scheme and blah, 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 blah. And Eli Harold says, quote, it's one man. Everyone has a gap. It allows everyone to play fast. I know we tend to say that every year. But this really does allow us to play fast. <laughs> but this year it's really I know we say that like we really love playing football again and we really love everything that uh the coaching staff's doing every single year, but this year we mean it, guys. Oh this god, year it's, it's so really funny. True. He hurt himself. He hurt himself like shit. I said this last year, didn't I? Yeah, <laughs> I sure did. I sure did. Uh, but this time I'm for real. This time I'm for real. Like just like who what what player is gonna come out here and be like, no, nah, this defense actually slows us down. This defense makes us think too much, uh, and I actually don't like it. We really I, uh, prefer to be passive rather than aggressive. We're we're really yeah. uh, you know, we want to let the offense dictate to us. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's I mean all of these things again. We've heard all of these glowing reports about changes. We're we're very familiar with the coaching staff change at this point. I mean we've been uh, doing this every offseason for what the last four years. So. Uh, I mean, you hear similar things, you know, there's always maybe a slightly different angle on it. Um, but, it, but it's, it's just variations of the same comments every year. You know, you get a new staff in there, you get new guys coming in. I mean, this is the biggest, you know, turnover personnel wise, I think they've had, but, uh, you know, even with that, it's, it's just like, you can't really, it's, it's one thing to be positive and like, that's great. And obviously we have high hopes for Shanahan and it's not like, uh, you, you know, you can objectively look and say Shanahan is, is comparable to, you know, the positivity coming out of Jim Tom Sula when that was absurd as it was happening. Um, so they're not the same situations, but you, you can't really put a lot of stock into it at this point. So don't pay attention to those kinds of reports because those kinds of reports don't really matter all that much, especially with, with these OTAs and with training camp. What you're really looking for are just kind of general overall themes, things that might point an arrow in one direction or another. And apparently last week seemed to be the week of the defense. And Garcon had a, a quote where he said, quote, apparently we can't run the ball or throw the ball against our defense, so everything is standing out. There, meaning the defense, is doing a good job. Now, remember that these are OTAs. No one's wearing pads, so it would be very difficult to run against um, anyone because you're basically running against, you know, you're, you're basically playing like flag football at this point. So the run game is probably not going to be anything you're going to worry about. 
Uh, and then, of course, this week, the offense kind of sort of struck back. They had some long plays, one to George Kittle, one to Marquise Goodwin. But again, you're, you're playing seven on seven. You can't really take too much away from the performance per se, especially since they're just installing the offense and defense right now. I think what you can take a look at, though, is some of the position-specific battles to figure out where these players are slotted, who's getting first-team reps, who's getting second-team reps, who's playing what position and with what team, because that's going to give you insight into what the coaches are thinking and how they're beginning to slot their roster. Remember, we did a couple years ago, I think it was maybe last year, we did a show about, um, about building a game plan, and we used Bill Belichick's book, where he talked about how they how he builds a game plan. Brian Billick. And one of Brian Billick, sorry. And one of the things that I remember from that 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 really stuck out to me was the limited number of reps that teams have in any given practice period. And because you have a limited number of reps, you want to give those reps to the people you think need them, which are going to be really the people who play. So the number of reps that people get are going to be really important. And and there are really three kind of things that jumped out at least in the reports that I read. One is going to be with the defensive backs, and that's going to be that Lorenzo Jerome was getting snaps at nickel after being the third string safety. So this is interesting mostly because we do have a glut of uh, corners, and, and I think the team might just be looking at a place to put him because they're looking for any for something and anything. And if you're a rookie and you can play special teams and third string safety and third string nickel, all of a sudden you make yourself a bit more valuable. Yeah, I mean, I think you you hit it. If you can be, you know, uh, bring that versatility um, in your backup role, right? Like that's really, you have such a limited number of roster spots. And when you have guys, you know, on the bench that can come in and play multiple positions and fill multiple roles like that, I think that um, definitely has some value. And so I think you look at a player like that, right? And, And it may be a situation where they're like, okay, we like him as a player. Let's see, you know, kind of experiment with what he can do. I mean, yeah, I, I 100% agree that, you know, kind of uh, who's getting snapped and who's getting uh, reps with the first team, especially and all that stuff is is definitely the most important takeaway. I think this period of the offseason, you still see maybe a little bit more experimentation, right? Let's let's play around with things a little bit. Let's see where guys uh, might be able to fit in. And then as we go into training camp, we have a more firm idea and we really start kind of solidifying those roles. So I think that's what we're seeing with with Jerome here is, uh, you know, get a look at what he can do. Um, you know, can we rely on him at this position if we needed to? Uh, and, and if he can kind of come in and impress there, yeah, I think that bodes really well for his ability to snag a roster spot. Yeah, and the other thing I think in that story that was interesting to me was that Kawan Williams is playing, is getting snaps at the first, uh, as the first nickel cornerback. It's apparently a two-man battle between him and Will Redmond for that nickel cornerback spot. Of course, with Jimmy Ward moving to safety full-time, you now have you know kind of an opening at that nickel spot, and, and so this is going to be someone that is you know he didn't play in 2016, he suffered an ankle injury in training camp in 2016, he was suspended for two games, uh, he had surgery, so this is someone who didn't play at all last year. The Niners had their eye on him for a while, but they're playing him first over a third round pick last year from the previous regime. So I'm curious as to how that's gonna that's gonna shake out because. You've got those two defensive backs that are battling. And then the other part that I thought was interesting was that Akella Witherspoon started getting first string reps today. Well, and actually, so one one quick thing on Quan Williams before we move on to Witherspoon, actually. So this was something that I found when that report first actually came out. There was 
you know, kind of some some digging that I did for a, a quick article at PFF was looking at his slot coverage during his first years. So like you mentioned, he was he was out all of last year, but his first two years in the league, um, 2014, 2015, he was one of the best slot corners actually in the league. So uh, when you looked at cornerbacks who played at least 200 snaps, co- covered snaps, that is uh, in the slot he allowed just less than a yard per cover snap. So it was 0.94, and that was, let me see here, eighth among all cornerbacks that fit that. So, I mean, we're talking like with Chris Harris Jr., Darrell Rivas, Patrick Robinson, uh, you know, Casey Hayward, guys like that. There were were only nine players to allow fewer than one yard per cover snap uh, in that time frame, and he was one of them. So, uh, you know, we know he has a history with the 49ers DB coach. I mean, going back to his recruitment out of high school uh, and, and, you know, at, it basically at each stop along the way in his career. So, yeah, yeah I think he he seems to have kind of uh, or at least be the, the strong front runner at this point because he's excelled there, you know, before and then has that strong relationship with uh, with the 49ers defensive backs coach. So, yeah, Nick Shook of NFL.com said that. Uh, Williams beat out first round pick Justin Gilbert uh, in in 2014. And so this is definitely someone who's got some talent, which because he didn't play last year, he was not on my radar at all. So when we signed him and we signed him to a one year deal, I think for a little more than one million, I was like, okay, they're just it's another piece that they're signing or they're whatever. I had no idea that he was going to be slotted in immediately at the first string. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, Will Redmond, of course, then is going to be battling or trying to battle for the the second spot there at was effectively a starting cornerback at this point in the NFL. Um, and then you've got Rashard Robinson, who was slightly dinged up. So he's been out. And when he went out, Dante Johnson started getting first team reps. And then Akella Witherspoon also started getting first team reps today as well. I think this is going to be another interesting battle. I think Rashard Robinson's pretty much a lock to start. And then it's going to be some battle between Reeser, Johnson, and Witherspoon for that other cornerback spot. And I think you and I probably give a slight edge to Witherspoon, but it wouldn't surprise me if Dante Johnson won, um, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think of those three that that they all fit, look, and seem kind of of a similar build, but I still am high on Dante Johnson, and I'm not sure why he got dropped off the, off the depth chart last year, but I still think he's a guy who can play, and it wouldn't surprise me if he started, even though I kind of want Akella Witherspoon to start. Yeah, I think the Witherspoon stuff is it, it, right now. It's hard for me to see it as more than a you're a rookie and we make rookies earn things, you know, kind of mantra that everybody has. I mean, l- unless you're just like a top first round pick, you know, very rarely do rookies come in and immediately start getting reps with the first team. So um, we'll see Solomon Thomas come in and probably start lighting up with the second team right away. Yeah, like, yeah I mean, he's not going to come in and be a starter. He missed, you know, all of this install stuff over OTAs and minicamp and, and everything. And I mean, I'm sure he got, uh, you know, all of the, the install stuff and he's getting practice film and, and all that sort of shit. But, um, you know, it's still not the same when when you're not there and actually getting those reps. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's just kind of something that has to do with how the NFL kind of works. And, uh, you know, they they start rookies off on second and third team, even if, you know, they they kind of consider them to be uh possible starters or even likely starters um and and so yeah i think that'll be something to pay closer attention to as we get really more into training camp like if all of a sudden we're getting into preseason games and you know in that second third game and he's still 
getting pretty much primarily snaps, you know, in the second team, then yeah, I think we we start to have something where okay, maybe Dante Johnson has a a, a real legitimate chance to grab that role, but um, I'm not putting too much into that at this point. Uh, and then the offensive line, the interior of the offensive line, of course, you've got Jeremy Zuta, who's played center at times with the first string unit and right guard with the second string unit, at which point Tim Tim Barnes was playing center. Uh, it's interesting that the three players kind of, and Zuta's not even one of them, Zuta's just competing, I think, with Kilgore for the center position. But you've got Beatles, uh, you've got Garnett, and you've got, I think, Fusco, Brendan Fusco, uh, battling for the two guard spots. Do you think that you could see the 49ers starting offensive guards be Beatles and Fusco with Garnett being the primary backup? Uh, gross. Right? Um, like, and, and, and that's not to say that Garnett is like, you know, head and shoulders are so amazing or whatever, but it's just like, you really want, like, Beatles wasn't great. He was all right, but he wasn't great. Uh, and Fusco, again, another guy who you're like, huh, eh. Yeah, I mean, uh, none of those guys have been very good pass protectors, especially. I mean, with Garnett, I mean, look, dude was awful last year. Um, so th- there's not a whole lot. Of, I've seen somebody, you know, people want to kind of jump on this idea that he got better as the season went along, and, and I'm not entirely sure that's accurate. Uh, he was he was really bad, um, you know, pretty much all the time that he was in there last year. Um, I, I think, yeah, the interior line is really interesting because not only do you have, like, the guards that you mentioned, but... You know, Zuta and Kilgore have time, uh, have experience playing guard, and I think they're probably better overall players. Like, I I think if I'm picking out just the five best linemen, right, uh, it's it's hard not to probably include both of those guys. You know, I think it's it's probably close. It's not like they're head and shoulder. I mean, Zuta, I think, is one of those guys for sure. I think Kilgore is is where it gets a little bit interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of... I'm interested to see how much they're willing to kind of play around with those roles. Cause I don't know that the, the center guard thing is really all that firm at this point. Like I could see them moving guys around to try to get the best five out there because yeah, I mean uh, if, if it ends up as Beatles and, and Fusco, then that's uh, a little, a little terrifying. It would be, it would be, I think a major blow to a lot of things to see Joshua Garnett, someone that we traded up to get, which I think is still one of the top better rivals moments in uh, in better rivals history. When we were just we we thought we oh thought god, we were I done with the first round. Jack, so bad. I know. We, oh we, my god. We for those that weren't listening, we were breaking down the first round pick, and we did not know the Niners were going to trade back up into the tail end of the first round. So we're live and we're recording. And we both are getting so excited because we thought it was Miles Jack. And then we picked Joshua Garnett. And I believe the exact quote is a guard, a fucking guard. Um, <laughs> Did we do that last year, too? I thought I know we were like live this year as, as things were happening and traded back up. Well, we, I didn't were, realize we were we live. Did. We were live this year. We weren't intending for it to be live last year. We were recording at the tail end of round one. And it just happened that we traded it back <laughs> in the first. So the episode didn't post until later. Yeah. But we were recording as it was happening. Uh, so yeah, it was it was definitely an unexpected thing. And it would be it would be kind of a, a major blow to the team to say, all right, you're a first round pick and you're not good enough to start on a talent starved team 
at one of the more, you know, kind of talent starter positions on the roster. Not an irrecoverable mistake by any stretch. Um, but it's just it, it would be an interesting kind of um, hey, you know, sit the hell down kind of move. Yeah, I think I mean, uh, I, I get not wanting to, you know, kind of throw away first round picks essentially. But I think you really have to see it with this, you know, this overhaul, um, you know, in in the guys running this organization that this is things are kind of starting over from here. Like, I don't really put a lot of stock into the the previous draft position with these guys. I mean, I, I think there's a, you know, a lot of changes schematically, obviously, and, and there are going to be a lot of guys that don't fit. And I think Garnett is one of those guys that I'm not a hundred percent sure is, is really a great fit. I mean, he, he's obviously done some zone stuff. They were zone heavy last year still. Um, but it's, it, it's, I, I don't know that that's his best fit. I think he, he's, he's definitely somebody that, you know, almost kind of like an Andrew Tiller or, or you know, I think maybe even a Trent Brown, where they they could really excel uh, in a scheme that that uses more you know power type concepts um, you know similar to kind of the run stuff that we saw in the Jim Harbaugh years so um, I think those are more the type of linemen that they are and I don't know how how well he fits in and if he doesn't fit I mean I don't think that you force it because he was a former first rounder you know and then the other one that I thought was interesting was Eli Harold playing second string Sam behind Ahmad Brooks. Ahmad Brooks again stepped out with a non-serious injury, and and so Eli Harold stepped in and played Sam. Uh, this is someone who I was not necessarily high on, but I thought could be something as a pass rusher. Did not pan out at all, and you know he gained a ton of weight from year one to year two. Remember, like we we thought that he was like, oh yeah, we wouldn't be surprised if he got a PED suspension. Didn't <laughs> get one. Power. Yep, didn't get one. All smoothies. All smoothies. Uh, and he said he had a quote that was interesting. He said, quote, it's a little different because I've never played on the left side of the defense, but now I'm on both. It's taking some time to get used to, but I'm getting it. Um, yeah, if, if he's admitting that, chances are he's not getting it as well as he thinks he is. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what he can do at the linebacker position. Um, just again, nothing really more than that. I just thought it was interesting. that He was the second string Sam. Yeah, uh, I think that's probably a lot to do with a lack of other options, right? Like who the hell else do you put there? Um, you know, I think there's, you know, it's kind of intriguing to think about, um, you know, maybe Navarro Bowman going there and, and kind of how you shuffle the linebacking uh, group, you know, if, if that were to happen, uh, just to kind of get your best three on the field, because I don't think Ahmad Brooks or Eli Harold are, are in that best three. Um, but yeah, I think that the thing, you know, especially obviously you mentioned playing on the left side and, and something he's never done. I mean, he's never really had to drop into coverage either. And, and while, you know, you can, you can play with that Sam role a little bit and, and get it to where he doesn't have to, to do it a ton. I mean, he's going to have some coverage responsibility. He's not going to be able to avoid it entirely. So uh, yeah, I think that part's going to be interesting. How does he kind of handle playing in space uh, and, and moving around and being able to kind of, you know, get to his drops and zone and, and locate receivers and, and all of that stuff. So um yeah, that part is is a little strange. Something that you always worried about for a guy that's played, uh, you know, primarily as a just as a pass rusher, as a D end, you know, for his entire career essentially, and then kind of making that switch. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think though that spot's rough. I mean, uh, thankful that that position isn't going to spend a lot of time yeah. on the field. It is the linebacker that comes off the field. Yeah, right. When you when you go to nickel, which is effectively base, and you're playing that sixty five percent of the time, that's the linebacker that goes away. Yeah. Um, so speaking of linebackers, let's actually get to the speed round because the, like we said, there's not a whole lot to talk about. So 
we're going to do a quick speed round and, and get just some some quick takes, and then we'll talk about uh, something that we saw come across Twitter that I thought was funny, which is uh, what we think or who we think the best fictional football player is. Uh, we'll do some scattering reports on fictional football players, but uh, <laughs> we're not actually we're, going yeah, to. That's gonna not actually going to happen. No, uh, we're going to make it all up on the fly because <laughs> hey, it's fictional. So, you know, whatever. We can do whatever we want. But all right, speed around. Speaking of the linebackers, I would like to know whether or not you think Ruben Foster will or will not be a starter week one. And let's define starter by having 50% or more of the snaps. So not like a, a situation, not, not like he plays in nickel and he started in the first play of the game. Thus, he is a starter, but getting the majority of snaps at linebacker. Do you think it's going to be Ruben Foster? Or do you think he's going to be a role player at the linebacker position early on? Oh, no, I think it's the the only chance of him not being a starter is injury. That that is the only thing that will cause that. Yeah. So the, the reports coming out of camper that Malcolm Smith is rejuvenated and that he's awesome yeah sure Again, yeah, let's get the fuck out of here that, that kind of falls under the uh the previous don't pay attention to these things uh <laughs> storylines that we were talking about earlier malcolm smith yeah. like oh my he will go to the bench so fast uh and when it comes if reuben foster is healthy like it's not even they're not even remotely similar caliber of players that's a joke and he's going to have 25 million reasons to smile the entire way there. Uh, but number two, Garnett loses the battle between Zane Beatles, Brandon Fusco, uh, and, of course, Joshua Garnett. So, in other words, what do you think the likelihood is that Beatles and Fusco end up being the guards? Or, alternatively, that you know that, some, that Zuta ends up winning center, Kilgore slides to guard, and, and then it's Beatles and Kilgore and Garnett's on the bench? I mean... I don't think it's unreasonable that he ends up not being a starter. Uh, I, 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 uh, I don't know that I'm ready yet. I, I kind of want to see things settle a little bit and see, you know, where guys really start to get the majority of their reps at. Um, so I don't know that I'm, I'm really ready to go and say that that's the most likely outcome, but it's, I mean, it's close. It's, it's right there. Um, I, I think there's, uh, we'll call it like a 40% chance at this point. All right, true or false, the greatest comeback in NBA history is LeBron's hairline. Have you seen his hairline come back? It's ridiculous. No. <laughs> he, was, he was bald. He was bald three years ago. Yeah, he, I mean, like, I've definitely had, seen all the memes of his, like, each year, his hairline, his headband, yeah. you know, creeping. The headband sl- goes you know, up. Up, 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 yep. Yeah, and now you look at him, he's got a full head of hair. He's not hair only a member. Men, man. He's yeah. not only the president, he's also a client. I'm telling you, dude, <laughs> go watch, go, go look it up. It's, it, yeah, I mean, that 3-1 lead is, that 3-1 lead that he was able to overcome was one thing. Getting his hair to grow back like that, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's not nothing. That's a hell of a comeback. Uh, congrats to the Dubs, uh, NBA champions. Hell yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, oh man, yeah, game. okay, I just saw a picture. Is that Yeah, dude, did you see that? He went from being like Grandpa Braun to, you know, you're the guy who's dating your sister, Braun. I also see a photoshopped one of, of his hairline back at the middle of his head. <laughs> Are uh, you sure it's photoshopped? Is, Are you sure? Uh, man, it's good, though. It's good. So earlier today, another in the speed round, earlier today, Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor agreed to fight a boxing match on August 26th. Who do you think wins? Floyd, the maybe over the hill, you know, woman beating boxer 
uh, or Conor McGregor, the scrappy Irish MMA fighter? God, I couldn't give a fuck less. Um, there's like college football starting that week. There's like probably nine preseason games that I'd rather watch that day. Um, are they boxing or what, what kind of, they are boxing. They are not doing, oh, a, I mean, Floyd they are not doing martial arts. Kick the shit out of them. Yeah, he will. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, there were, there um, are other people who were like trying to put money on McGregor and I'm like, no, that's, that's dumb. I'm going to go have ahead a non-boxer and, go fight a boxer. And well, technically him. he's not, it's not that he's a non-boxer. It's just that boxing is not his specialty. Um, if this were MMA, up. I would have loved, I would love to see Mayweather in an MMA fight. I would absolutely love it. Because he would just I mean, get elbowed to death. Yeah, either one would go. If if they went to try to go do the other person's thing, they would get destroyed. Um, yeah, and that's it's it's not. Happen. And I don't think it's going to be close. I think McGregor's probably going to get knocked out within three rounds, probably. Um. So yeah, that's it's it's just in, I've never I, I've never seen like this. Is just an interesting fight, all things considered. But anyway, um, sticking to the basketball theme because there's not a lot of football shit to talk about. <laughs> um, true or false? The hate for Kevin Durant and the Warriors is indeed justified. No. No, it's not. It's a joke. I mean, that's what bas- basketball has always kind of been about, at least for the last, I don't know, fucking like 20, 30 years, is about accumulating the best talent. And that's that's just how it works. Um, What's What sport isn't about accumulating the best talent? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I guess the, the, the most... Golf. Top, Golf. top talent. Like, like, you need three very very good like uh you know first team all pro type almost players and maybe not quite that that high but um yeah i mean the nba you win with your star talent at the top right like you know there's only five fucking dudes on the floor at a time so yeah you need to be able to have those guys i mean the only the only guys that have been able to really win with even only two uh you know where it was basically like Jordan and Pippen and Shaq and Kobe, and they both had Phil Jackson coaching. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's you need to get a lot of really, really good players in the teams that like kind of, you know, whether it's luck or whatever the hell it is that causes it, like the the teams that get those players, that's how it works. Yeah. So and, I even don't Jordan, really... and even Jordan and Pippen had had guys that were able to fill that third role. Well, they had roles to guys, a very, nobody very... that was to the talent level of. Of like well, what, what I'm what I'm really saying though four. is that they they had the third guy that at a specific stage in their career was that good at the time that they needed them. So you think of someone like Dennis Rodman, he was very very good at rebounding. He couldn't score to save his life, but he was the uh, an elite talent at getting rebounds when they needed that because they had enough scoring with Pippen and Jordan, and eventually with Steve Kerr. You look at someone like Horace Grant, who again isn't going to be an all time NBA player, but was similarly very, very good for the two or three years that they needed him to be very, very good. I mean, those are um, very good role players. Those players aren't of the caliber of a Clay Thompson and a Draymond Green. Like, those no, are players the, that could go to other teams and be the best players on those teams. The guys that were around Pippen and Jordan, I don't think were, were really that caliber. Like, Rodman was incredible at this one, you know, basically defense and rebounding, but it's still kind of a a more specialized player, you know, like uh, I, I think the, the guys that they have at the top of this Warriors team are, are all pretty well-rounded and, and uh, don't have a lot of big weaknesses in their game, right? Like they all kind of play defense pretty well and all can handle the ball. They can all shoot, you know, all that stuff. So um, 
yeah, I think it's, you know, a little bit different than some of those teams. But yeah, I mean, still the point remains. Like they had Michael Jordan, right? They had the greatest player of all time, probably. So or at least, you know, him and maybe, you know, you get into the LeBron conversation, but whatever. Yeah, it's to me, it's one of those things. And I think Bill Simmons said something very, very similar on his show, maybe two or three shows ago, uh, where he was like, you're you're going to hate a team for assembling a team both via the draft and through a couple of really smart free agent acquisitions all within the rules. And you're going to hate them for maximizing their opportunity to win the championship. That's stupid. If you do that, that's it's ridiculous if you do. Um, and, and it's, it was, it, it's one of those things where everyone's like, Oh, well, you know, Katie shouldn't have gone there. I think that that's less of an infraction in the, the sports kind of Holy grail than LeBron saying, uh, who wants to join me for a super team? I'm going to go meet my friend over in Miami and we're going to go ahead and bring Chris Bosh, who's another guy. We're going to go ahead and build our own super team um, or what the Kevin Garnett did with the Celtics. Right. It, like it's all the same shit. It's all the same. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't. Yeah, there, I don't even see a yeah, need to differentiate those things like those are all I mean, and people hated those teams. I mean, to be like, that's just how kind of sports fans work, unfortunately, is is they're uh, they're rational and they see, uh, you know, a team that's not their team. Uh it become a dominant team. I mean, it's the same way, you know, the Patriots haven't, um, you know, didn't build a team like this, like, like you see in the NBA, right. Where they get those, a ton of star players, but, it, but it's the same sort of thing where teams that are, are really good, that are dominant, um, you know, especially over an extended stretch, you, other fans of not that team are going to hate them. Like that's just how it works. Is, is this era of super team good or bad for basketball? Do you have an opinion either way? Um, I think it's good. I I I think seeing historically great sports teams is good for sports. Um, yeah. I don't care that the twentieth best team in the NBA maybe isn't as good as you know the twenty twentieth best team could have been uh, if they didn't have a super team. Like, who gives a fuck? I want to see the teams that go to the playoffs and go win championships be like some of the best teams to ever you know, play that sport. Like that's fun to watch. That's something that you're going to remember. So yeah, I, I, I like that. There's a 30 for 30. I think either it started last night or tonight and it's the Celtics versus the Lakers. Guess what? They made a 30 for 30 about those two teams because they were juggernauts with players like magic Johnson that went toe to toe for decades. Um, you know, Johnson and bird, and these are great teams and great players. And, People are, you know, they, they witness those things and they go, yeah, that was really cool to watch. Um, but no, I'd rather I'd rather watch 15 mediocre teams because <laughs> I want the Milwaukee Bucks to maybe win something someday, eventually, kind of. Yeah, parody, um, uh, I think, is generally a little overrated. Like, it's nice to think about, especially if, you know, like, I don't how- even know that it's overrated. I think that people think there is more parody than there actually is. Like name name me a Super Bowl. Like everyone's like, oh, the NFL. There's so much parody in the NFL. Like I wish the NBA were like the NFL. Name me like what the last what ten or eleven Super Bowls involved Brady, some Manning, Aaron Rodgers, and Ben Roethlisberger, and and like you've got a, a sneaky Joe Flacco and a Colin Kaepernick who kind of snuck in there every now and again. But you look at like the last fifteen years of Super Bowls, and that's it. Yeah. Like, don't give me this parody crap. You know who's going to win. You know the Patriots are going to win. You know which teams are going to be good in the NFL every single year. The reason, it's gonna that, be- yeah, the reason that the NFL gets that is because 
of, you know, there's there's more inherent variance in the NFL season. Because you've got 16 events and yeah. you've got one winner in one game taking all. And so you get, because of that, you see teams, you know, go from the bottom to the playoffs and, and all that stuff more frequently than you probably do in other sports um, that have, you know, longer schedules and more time for kind of the best teams to actually rise to the top of the standings. Um, but it's, you know, it, it doesn't mean that those teams that are, are coming kind of from bottom to playoff contention are doing anything when they get to the playoffs, right? It's still, yeah, like you said, largely the same teams that we see year in, year out. Those teams with very, very good quarterbacks um, that are the ones that have a chance to compete for championships, right? It's have a dominant quarterback, get some injury luck on your side, and, and you're probably going to be right there in the conversation. All right, and last, the I guess not so speed around, before we move on to uh, fictional football characters is, what do you think the best rivalry in football is going to be next season? Um, I don't know. I haven't really... Give me, give me some options here. Give me... Nothing's really jumping so, to my... I, I don't really feel like there's a lot of great well, ones right now. The, and that's, that's kind of the point of the question, right, is, is what great ones are left. So, you know, you've got your traditional NFC North black and blue ones. So you've got Vikings, Packers, you've got Giants, Cowboys, you've I got the NFC East. No, <laughs> you've got, you know, you've got Philly Cowboys. Um, you've got, of course, the, the Niners Seattle one is pretty much extinct. Uh, Niners Cowboys is yeah. pretty much extinct. You've got at this point, you've got maybe Patriots Seattle. Maybe, but that's hard because they're not going to play in you know yeah, what, once every four years Bowl. or in the Super Bowl. So yeah, um, um, I think you've got Steelers um, and uh, the Ravens. You've got I think um, some non-divisional ones are probably ones that I would be most and it, and it's harder to get those. But you know, every once in a while, you get teams uh, you know that are really good that always kind of end up because you you have that slotting in the schedule right where you play the team that finished at the same spot in the standings and the other divisions in your conference. Right. So if you finish first, yeah. you play the other first place teams. Um, and, and so I think you can end up playing, you know, kind of like we played the Packers for a, a, a few years in a row there. So um, I, yeah, I feel like maybe some of those, like, I don't know, like Patriots Steelers is always a fun game. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's probably the point is that there's, there's really not any that are, that are great. I think, I think I, maybe you go into some of the, I, I could see some of the AFC West ones like becoming that way. Maybe like, I, I think, uh, all of the AFC West teams are intriguing, but there's enough there enough question marks to where you're not like really sold on it yet. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think anything really jumps to mind right now. Yeah. I think the, the only one, like you think of the Raiders and chiefs, I think the the AFC West rivalries might start to come back now that Oakland's good again. Um, I think the Raiders having a rivalry with anyone means that they're relevant and that could be fun. Um, so you think of like when you think of maybe next year, you think of maybe Raiders Titans. Um, that might be a fun one because you think of Marcus Mariota, you think of Derek Carr, two teams that are kind of on the rise. One that maybe is you know more ahead of the other, being Oakland uh, more than the uh, than the the Titans, but. That's pretty much. I mean, I it. think that's more of like a you're you're looking at identifying that as like a potential a one. future one, right? Like yeah. if both of these quarterbacks end up being really good, and you're in the same conference, obviously, um, you yeah, end up none falling of the historical into that. rivalries. Yeah, none of the historical rivalries make a ton of 
sense to me right now. I think, um, yeah, just I think that's pretty much it. I think the 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 only other one that might be interesting to me is um, Cowboys Packers, just because of what happened with the catch game with Des Bryant, and then Aaron Rodgers just putting a dagger through their heart last year. Um, I think that that Packers Cowboys one would be interesting. I think. Yeah, and especially I mean the Cowboys I think are uh, are more fun you know kind of now especially if they can stay. I mean their offensive line is so good that you know and they have some playmakers on offense and obviously Dak was really exciting last year and um, if they can start to to kind of put things together defensively like yeah that's potentially really exciting. Um, so yeah, I think there's it, it's kind of in that weird transition period right where we're starting to see now a lot of the a lot of the quarterbacks that have kind of been the focal points of a lot of these really great rivalries lately, like over the last, you know, decade plus or so, uh, are starting to get older and, or maybe retiring. Um, and so you're kind of waiting for that next group to really, you know, get in there and kind of solidify themselves and, and get a chance to play a few times, play a few times in the playoffs. Um, and, and, and I think we'll see some new ones kind of established for sure. All right, so we'll make this the last question of the speed round. But if you had a fictional character that, that a fictional character from a football movie that you thought was the best football player that you had to do a fantasy draft with, and you're going to draft this player, which player would that be? And I feel like you got to go quarterback, right? You would think so. It's a fictional team. It's a fictional universe. I mean, right? it's still quarterback. Still got to be the most important. Um, I'd love to go with like, uh, like Friday night lights, dude. Um, oh my God. What's which his, one? Uh, white quarterback or black quarterback, black quarterback, uh, ah, yes. East, East Dillon. Um, what's his, Vince Staples character? What the hell is his name? Vince uh, or not Vince Staples. Staples. <laughs> 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 God, on my mind. I'm on the ringer right now. And just like, I'm seeing celebrity names and stuff and it's confusing my brain. Um, uh, this is, uh, Michael B. Jordan, Michael B. Jordan. Fruitville station. God. Yes. Uh, yeah, what was his what was his character name? Was I it don't Vince? remember his character name. I don't remember his character name anyway. in Friday Night Lights. I, so I like, remember his him as a player and his you know crackhead mother, but I don't remember. His so name. he was awesome, but right, like he's like a high school quarterback still. So how do you take a high school quarterback over someone like Shane Falco? You you can't. I don't right? think I don't you think can. You can I do think, that. I think um, that immediately disqualifies him. I think that, that's Paul why. Like, no, 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 no. I'm gonna go Willie Beeman. Willie Beeman. Willie yeah. Beeman any given Sunday. That's the move. That's the move right there. Because, I mean, you think, okay, so other great movies, right? You think Varsity Blues, again, they're all disqualified because Jonathan Moxon, high school guy, right? Doesn't even, doesn't even know what to do with the whipped cream bikini. Can't trust him in the fourth quarter. Just can't. Uh, you've got, uh, uh, who else? You've got Willie Beeman. We know that he's up there. Um, you've got... I guess you wouldn't consider Johnny Utah one because he never actually played football in the movie, even though the backstory of his character was a college quarterback. Um, Vince Howard. Okay, sorry, I had to look that up and and see. Okay, at least I got Vince from somewhere. I was I was like half right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Continue. You've got uh, the program, but that was mostly running backs. Uh, you've got uh, the Friday Night Lights, the movie with Booby Miles, again a running back which, you know, you could go that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to go quarterback, I think it's got to be Willie Beeman. Or you could, I mean, ru- you could go the water boy, right? Like the water boy did everything. Linebacker. I mean, he scored points. He was the whole, he led the whole team, you know, so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. There's a lot of that's, good options. 
That's yeah. I don't know that I want. Uh, I don't know that I, I. I don't like Adam Sandler just in general. I mean that's after after that's fair. But it, the Water yeah. Boy was still funny. Yeah, <laughs> the Water Boy was funny. It was. <laughs> oh man. Uh, all right. I think that does it. That about does it. We're we're near the end. Uh, when we're talking about fictional football characters, fictional football, there that means there is literally no other football oh, man. to be had. I found that list for from Sports on Earth, and Mean Machine was stacked. Man. You got from that the the, uh, especially in the new one, right? You had Nelly's character that was the running back that was a beast. You had Michael Irvin playing receiver. Oh, for uh, Uh, yeah, the any given Sunday. Yeah, yeah, Mean Machine, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's no, 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 not not any given Sunday, the longest yard. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, wasn't it? um, So there was also what movie was it where they played? They brought like oh, unnecessary roughness. Where they played inmates, and it was like Lawrence Taylor. I promise you, this is the thing that happened. That's not the longest yard that you're thinking of. Uh, I think they bar- They must have borrowed the scene from the longest yard. But I can guarantee you that, for necessary roughness, they also played inmates. Haven't seen that one. Yeah. No comment. You haven't seen. You haven't seen necessary roughness. I've never even heard of that. I don't think. Oh Jesus Christ! All right. Uh, do yourself a favor. I'm looking it up right now. 1991. Look. Oh, yeah. Scott Bakula. No, wait. Not Scott Bakula. Yeah, Scott Bakula. The guy who was in... Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, God. He was uh, Paul Blake. The, yeah, the fucking Time Machine show with Al. Oh, it's going to kill me. Quantum Leap. That's what Leap, it was. Yep. He was in Quantum Leap. Yep. Uh, all right. Then we're really off the rails <laughs> at this point. We're really, we should end this just right now. I mean, it's June. Uh, um, in, in better news, we have more fun things that are going to be coming up in future episodes that aren't fictional correct. football related. So That's exactly right. Next week, we're going to start scheme month. Uh, it's our annual scheme month. This is a, uh, our fifth. An- no, this is, I think, our third annual scheme month, even though we've been doing the podcast for five years now. Um, yeah, but so. we're going to basically take a week to take you through one schematic kind of thing that we're hoping to learn ourselves or that we think is going to be interesting for the 49ers next year. It's usually a four-part series, so keep your eyes peeled over the next four weeks for Scheme Month because we've got a lot of really fun stuff on the agenda to cover with the coaching changes and the scheme changes. Other than that, you can keep looking for uh, David's little tidbits on PFF as he tweets them out. Uh, And uh, yeah, make sure you give us a review on iTunes, on Google, the Google Play Store, whatever the hell that's called, because uh, it helps people discover the show if they're looking for a podcast. Uh, and if you've got questions, always hit us up on the Twitters. You can find me at Better Rivals. David, where can they find you? It's going to be at Newman NFL. With that verified blue check and everything. Boom, blue uh, check. So that's, that, that's right. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, 
bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Forecast. It's not Voltron.